The Taiwan government and private organizations have been attempting to look for missing Taiwanese that have fallen victim to scams and human trafficking rings in Cambodia. China has now decided to capitalize on the situation. The Chinese embassy in Cambodia released a statement over the weekend stating that Taiwanese compatriots are Chinese citizens and if they require help, they can contact the Chinese embassy. Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, has responded, stating that Cambodia-based fraud rings are a toxic legacy of China's Belt and Road Initiative. Ma Xiaoguang, a spokesman for the State Council's Taiwan Affairs Office, responding to an inquiry made on August 19th, said if overseas Taiwanese compatriots ran into any difficulties, they could promptly contact China's embassies and consulates abroad for help. These incidents in Cambodia are a toxic legacy of the Belt and Road Initiative. Chinese fraud rings have caused our people to suffer. Wu demanded that China stop pretending to show goodwill. The root cause of the problem, according to Taiwanese reports, is that Sihanoukville became a paradise for scammers owing to China's Belt and Road Initiative. In 2016, there were heavy investments in this area, with large numbers of Chinese setting up gaming businesses. By 2019, there were close to 100 operations. However, in 2020, Cambodia slapped a ban on gambling, and gaming companies were forced to take up online fraud operations. China subsequently pushed for large-scale repatriations, forcing Chinese fraudsters to return to their home country. With a manpower shortage, fraud operators decided to target Taiwanese to make up the shortfall. It was another scorcher of a day on Sunday with Hualien's Guangfu Township registering 41.6 degrees, a record high for this year. July is supposed to be the start of typhoon season, but so far not a single typhoon has hit Taiwan this year. The government's water management authorities are starting to worry about a drought next year if Taiwan continues to be free of typhoons and the northeast monsoon doesn't arrive in September. Let's hear from the Water Resources Agency. In Jilong's case, we have increased the water supply from the Feitsui Reservoir to Shizhe. In southern Taiwan, priority has been given to the use of water from Gaoping River and Zengwen River to stabilise the water supply in various places. We are monitoring the situation and reducing water consumption in agriculture and from natural waterways. Fortunately, thanks to an abundance of rain during this year's plum rain season, there shouldn't be a water shortage before November. While there is a drought response action in place, the agency says a decision won't be made until September, depending on the status of Taiwan's water supply at that time. An air conditioner in every classroom. That was the cabinet's pledge to young students two years ago. This year in May, the government completed its project, installing air conditioning at all 3,500-plus primary and junior high schools in the nation. For students, there are plenty of benefits to having an air conditioner in the class. But the question is, can Taiwan's power grid handle the extra demand? 
Today in our Sunday special report, we look into how much juice it takes to keep the AC running. And we stop by Taiwan's new cooler schools to see what they're doing to minimize their carbon footprint. It's a scorching summer day and the children are sweating profusely. Everyone is a little restless. Until recently, scenes like these were a daily reality. In 2020, the executive yuan earmarked 35.8 billion NT to equip every elementary and junior high school in Taiwan with air conditioners. By May 2022, the government had installed more than 180,000 units in more than 3,500 schools around Taiwan. But all this air conditioning needs electricity to work. Where does all the juice come from? Let's run the numbers for four months, May, June, September and October. Say that air conditioning is turned on between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. whenever the temperature exceeds 28 degrees. That's roughly 260 million kilowatt hours consumed every year. According to Thai Power, that's just about 0.1 percent of all electricity generated in Taiwan. When the operating reserve is in the single digits, turning on 180,000 AC units at schools puts a big burden on the grid. To keep the energy supply stable, Thai Power signs contracts with schools, in which schools agree to pay for a fixed power capacity each month. If the school uses more than its contract capacity, it must pay a higher rate for the excess amount. This can quickly take a toll on school budgets. Early on, the government didn't offer any subsidies for electricity, so all the money had to come out of our own budget. We only turned on the air conditioning when the temperature exceeded 30 degrees, and only till the temperature dropped to a certain level. We used the system sparingly. Even so, we kept incurring extra fees because our air conditioning use exceeded our contract capacity. You can use this card and put it on the card reader to activate the system. Then you can use the remote control to turn on the air conditioning unit. To help classrooms control their air conditioning bills, the government installed a smart energy management system in Taiwan's classrooms. The system can be used to remotely adjust classroom temperatures and to turn units on and off. It can also show which classrooms are currently using air conditioning. All the information is accessible on a computer screen. It can be used to monitor the conditions in each classroom, which classrooms have the air conditioning on and which ones have it off, so the person in charge can monitor everything. After school lets out at 3.30 p.m., the system can be used to see whether any units were left on. The units can be turned off remotely. The smart system shows how much electricity is being used at any moment. It allows the school to participate in demand response programs to reduce electricity usage. Demand response, or demand bidding, is an approach in which virtual electricity providers can provide a negative energy supply. For example, say there is a need to increase consumption by one kilowatt hour, we can obtain that additional kilowatt hour from the supply side by generating an additional one kilowatt hour. 
or we can adjust the demand side by asking users to reduce consumption by one kilowatt hour. This would also satisfy that need. By having air conditioning in classrooms, students are able to learn in comfort. And today, there's a government subsidy to help cover the cost of keeping cool. It's an ideal scenario for students and their parents, but for the sake of Taiwan's energy security, there must be measures in place that keep the grid from overloading. Thai Power offers schools the option of joining a demand response program. This means that when the energy supply is short, Thai Power notifies the school's electricity management system, giving a 15-minute warning to the school to turn off the air conditioning or reduce usage. Later, the school can take all that electricity it saved and apply it to its electricity bill in order to lower costs. At our school, teachers often hold classes outdoors. We can adjust our energy use during those periods that they are outside. That allows us to save on our utility bills. To save money, schools can adjust and manage their consumption with Thai power. But some schools have taken things a step further by becoming energy producers themselves. This is Wenxing Elementary School in Taoyuan's Guishan District. The school has solar panels to generate electricity and even lithium batteries to store it. About one-third of the electricity consumed is generated on-site, making the school less reliant on Thai power. We have about 40 kilowatts of photovoltaic panels that we operate ourselves. They can generate 48,760 kilowatt hours every year. In addition to supplying the school with electricity, we store the excess in lithium batteries. Think of our school as having a massive portable power bank, like that used with cell phones. Thanks to our portable power bank, and by adjusting our energy management system, we are able to regulate our energy consumption. What's even more special about the school is that its energy management system is powered by artificial intelligence. Whenever needed, the system can automatically reduce electrical usage by 30% to avoid fines for overconsumption. Look at February and March. Our solar panels contributed more energy than we got from Thai Power. The blue bar is the electricity provided by Thai Power. The yellow bar is the energy generated from the photovoltaic panels. Green represents the electricity drawn from the lithium batteries. If our school is close to exceeding the contract capacity, the AI system kicks in and uses our school's resources to smooth out peaks in consumption and fill in dips automatically. By shaving off the peaks, we can prevent ourselves from exceeding our contract capacity. The AI energy management system was developed jointly by the school and a tech company. Now, every watt of electricity used in the school is recorded, including electricity used in corridors and other common spaces. With this data, the system can determine the appropriate contract capacity for the school. We should limit our electricity use and adapt so that it stays within 100 kilowatts. That's the safest way to go. With the Executive UN's air conditioning policy, we've had to raise our contract capacity. And that's why we need the system even more. It's our support system. 
it can help us take all the excess electricity we generate and use it during peak times. That way we can reduce overconsumption. We can avoid exceeding the contract capacity. It also helps with our bills. We generate our own electricity that we don't need to pay for. The virtual power plant at Wenxing Elementary saves the school nearly 5,000 NT a month on its electricity bill. To educate students on electricity consumption and encourage them to save power, the school created a mock power company headed by a cute cartoon monster. The monster's facial expressions help the kids get a sense for how their school is powered. There are four expressions that we use. They range from cute, to somewhat nervous, to anxious, to crying in pain. We tell our students, the more electricity we use, the closer the school will be to getting fined. So we need to conserve energy. The Executive Yuan's air conditioning policy has created a comfortable environment for students in Taiwan. Over at Wenxing Elementary, the policy has also helped children better understand the importance of saving energy. Restaurants are pulling out all the stops to recover from the pandemic. At one hot pot chain in Jilong, Wagyu beef dumplings are the latest trick to draw customers. Wagyu is normally reserved for priced cuts. But this eatery is now offering a mixture of barbecue and hot pot options together to cater to diners every whim. Dumplings come out of the boiler dripping with juice. Cut them open and contrary to expectations, they're stuffed with Wagyu beef, a seriously fancy filling for a humble boiled dumpling. The strips of Wagyu beef go into the mincer along with Chinese chives or cabbage. The smell in the kitchen is irresistible. The dumplings are made entirely from scratch. It takes lots of steps to produce one of these delectable mouthfuls. The special thing about Wagyu beef is that it has more marbling in it. You need to add the perfect ratio of vegetables and chives or it wouldn't pack properly inside the dumpling skin. This hot pot restaurant in Jilong was hit hard by COVID. Its owner invented the Wagyu dumplings to branch out into a new market and they were an instant hit. Wagyu beef is very trendy in Taiwan. No matter if you're after Wagyu, boiled or barbecued, this restaurant has you covered. The Wagyu beef blade steak is deeply marbled. It oozes fat as long as it hits the grill and melts in the mouth. Meanwhile, the head chef is frying up onions to get the wok sweet and pave the way for endless types of meat and seafood. This hot pot chain offers clientele a combination of hot pot and barbecue in one meal. Jilong is spoiled for choice. There's hot pot and there's also barbecue. If the price is very reasonable, I'm sure business will bounce back. We're combining personal hot pots with barbecue service to offer a new dining format. From Wagyu dumplings to hot pot barbecue sets, restaurants are getting creative to find solutions to the pandemic predicament. The International Chocolate Awards announced over the weekend the latest winners of the Asia-Pacific Bean-to-Bar and Craft Chocolate Tier Competition. Taiwan's Wei Wan Yu, a Nanto native, nabbed a gold, three silvers and two bronzes. Let's hear from her. When the judges assess the products, they will taste hundreds or even thousands just in a day. 
So you need to think how to make a strong first impression to the judges. And that will influence the way they give the scores later on. Waze hazelnut coated with red oolong chocolate with a double-layered taste of oolong tea and hazelnut won her a gold medal. Her other five winning temptations included one called a Caribbean cocktail and a concoction consisting of tie guanyin tea powder, lychees and chocolate. Pomelos are usually harvested in early September. However, due to hotter than normal weather this year, these fruits are already ripening and now harvesting is in high gear. With China banning the importation of Taiwan citrus fruits, pomelo farmers are worried that there might be a surplus this year. However, a farmers association says this year has a smaller than usual yield due to the excessive rain during the tree's flowering season in March, so the impact from the Chinese ban won't be so great. Under the hot sun, students work in this pomelo orchard during their summer vacation, trying to make enough money to pay their tuition fees. Ah, Working in the pomelo trees, a harvester can earn a daily wage of 1,300 NT, a tree climber 1,400 NT, and a fruit transporter 1,700 NT. A summer's hard work could yield at least 70,000 NT. Just work in Taiwan. It's up to you if you're willing to work or not. Actually, Taiwan has plenty of jobs. Especially in the country, there are lots of work opportunities. The pomelos from Hualien are known for their acidic aroma, sweet flavor and chewiness. Due to the continuous hot weather this year, the fruit ripened early and there was an early harvest. Young men working in the orchard go shirtless, but the pomelos can't withstand the hot sun. The farmers put tape on the fruit to protect it from the sunshine. We get this tape from the hardware store and put it on the fruit. If you don't do that, the fruit will be burned and become blackened. Generally, the harvest time of the pomelo is about a week before the solar term of Bailu, but this year the weather has been very hot, so it has already ripened, and it is also in the market earlier than usual. When the sweetness is about 10.5, it tastes very good. The sweetness of this year's harvest is more than 11 on the sweetness scale. This year, the pomelos from Hualien are of good quality and are extra sweet. However, with China banning the importation of Taiwan citrus fruits, many farmers are worried about a surplus. The local farmers association says not to worry. Thanks to the abnormal climate this year, the abundant rain during the fruit's flowering period in March led to an approximately 15% reduction in yield, which will offset the amount that would have been exported to China. The seventh month of the lunar calendar is Ghost Month, when it is believed spirits leave the netherworld to roam the earth. During this time, many festivals are held across Taiwan, and one of them is Jiayi County's Da Shiyer Ceremony of Mingxiong. Legend has it that during the Qing Dynasty, ghosts would be heard crying in Mingxiong on the first day of Ghost Month. The locals believe that only with the cremation of an effigy of the deity Da Shiye would the spirits be able to return to heaven. This religious rite reached a climax on Saturday night when effigies of Da Shiye and other gods were torched, attracting throngs of worshippers. 
when the time came, the crowd held torches and together lit various effigies, sending Da Shu Ye to heaven via cremation. The Da Shu Ye ceremony of Minshung in Jiayi County is one of a series of Ghost Month activities across the island. Our Da Shi Ye is going to be cremated and will ascend to heaven. The most important thing is to pray to Da Shi Ye to take some of our bad things away and to bless each person with good things so that we can be safe and happy in the future. This rite has been performed in Jiayi for more than 300 years. Legend has it that Da Shi Ye is the reincarnation of the Guanyin Bodhisattva. Every year on the first day of the seventh lunar month, Da Shi Ye is placed on an altar where he helps the restive ghosts find peace. On the 21st to 23rd days of the seventh lunar month, worshippers pray for three days before finally cremating Da Shi Ye to send him to heaven, symbolising that he will take disasters away from the world. It doesn't matter if the government subsidizes this event or not. This is a ceremony created by the ancestors of the people of Mingxiong. This ceremony is held in the seventh month. In the past, people would feel scared of the seventh month. Through this ceremony, everyone can find peace in their hearts. Now that the cremation of Da Shuye is an important religious event in Jiayi County, many worshippers came to see him off hoping that the flames will take all bad things away and the land will be blessed with peace.